0: Welcome to the Oasis. Today, as many of you noticed, it's Communion Sunday. And we're going to be talking about that as we move through the message and towards the end of our service. But it's so good to see all of you. We're starting a new series this morning in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along... Hebrews chapter 1, this series is not going to be a verse-by-verse verse series, but rather just a uh, looking at what are the highlights, I believe, of, of this book. Many of you who know me know that the book of Hebrews is my favorite book in the Bible, so it's one that I go back to quite often. And it's one that the Lord led me back two months ago as I began to prepare for this series of messages uh, here in August, then coming into the early fall months. And I, I hope that you will enjoy this series as much as I've already enjoyed studying and preparing for this series. Today, we want to just briefly take a look at Hebrews chapter 1 as sort of our foundation for the first four verses of chapter two. And in Hebrews chapter one, the author that we really do not know exactly who it is, which is another reason why I've always been drawn to this book. Out of all the 66 books in the Bible, the 39 in the Old Testament and the 27 in the New Testament, this is really the only book of the Bible that we really don't know who the author is. And obviously, if God wanted us to know who the author was, he would have let us know. But we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. That person remains nameless. We'll we'll find out when we get to heaven. But in Hebrews chapter 1, the author is reminding all of us of the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 is all about the greatness of Jesus. He basically tells us if we want to hear God's voice in our lives, then we've got to listen to Jesus. If we want to see God, then we need to look at Jesus. If we want to worship God, then we need to lift up. Jesus. In fact, in the first verse of Hebrews chapter 1, he talks about how God spoke long ago through the prophets in various ways, but now in these last days, verse 2, he has spoken to us in a son, his son, Jesus Christ. He's reminding all of us that it's not that what God did through the prophets was lacking or deficient in any way other than it was just it was partial it was incomplete it was it was right on but it wasn't the full picture if you will and so he's saying when god wanted to give us man the full picture of himself he sent jesus christ and he spoke through him and god now doesn't need to do any more speaking Everything that he needed to say to mankind, he has said through the person of Jesus Christ. If we truly want to hear God's voice, then the author says, then listen to Jesus. Then he says, if you want to see God, then just look at Jesus. Beginning in verse 2, he talks about him being the heir of all things. He is also the one who created the world. Verse 3, he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of the essence of God. He is a sustainer of the universe by his powerful word and he accomplished cleansing for sins and has now sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Because his ministry is done as far as that goes. That particular ministry. He doesn't need... To say any more or do any more than what he's done. Just look at him and what he's done. And then verse 4, if you and I want to worship God, we'll lift up Jesus. Where the author says he became so far better than the angels. As he has inherited a name superior to theirs. And he goes on to talk about the name is the Son. They are servants of God, the angels, but he is the son of God who actually is the eternal son of God. The self-existent one and the one who is ruling the universe now and will one day rule the universe again, including this earth. Which is why he says in verse eight, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He talks in verse 10 about the fact that the Son of God founded the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the works of his hands. And notice he also says, all of these things are going to perish, but you, Son of God, you'll continue. They will grow old like a garment, like a robe, you will fold them up like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will never run out. Back to verse 4 for a moment. One of the key words of this entire book is the word better or superior that you see there for the first time in chapter 1, verse 4. It is used 19 times in the New Testament. 13 of those 19 times the word better or superior is used in the book of Hebrews. And if the, the author of Hebrews had one overarching theme or something that he wanted to get across more than anything else, it was this. Jesus Christ is God's very best. You and I can't do better ever than Jesus. He is God's very best. Superior greater than anyone or anything he is the son of God and so again if we want to hear God's voice listen to Jesus If we want to see God look at Jesus if we want to worship God let's lift up Jesus so all of chapter one is really again starting out with the foundation that Jesus Christ is superior and better than anything else angels, prophets, you name it. Anything that came after Jesus, because He's always been, was less than Him. And so He's saying here, we have a great Savior. I mean, the greatest Savior. That there is no one greater, more majestic, more awesome, more mighty, then Jesus Christ, he's the greatest. So he says all that so that when we come to chapter 2, notice what he says in verse 1, therefore, which is always a word in the Bible, when you see that word, you know that that word then points back to the immediate context of what has just been laid out for us. Based on the fact that Jesus Christ is who he is, and and He is this great Savior, the author now proceeds to give us, how then does that apply to us? What, what, what can I take from all the, the greatness that He portrays about Jesus Christ in chapter 1? How do I bring that down into my everyday life? How, how do I use that? How do I appropriate that? How do I apply that? He's going to tell us. He says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Notice, first of all, the word must. (laughs) It is an absolute necessity that we do this. This isn't something that God is just suggesting that we do. God is saying, if you have a great Savior, and you believe in this one Jesus Christ that has been revealed, then this is what you and I must do with this great Savior. We must pay close attention. The words mean to devote oneself to, to set a course and keep to it, to to lock into a course, if you will, and stay at it. It would be like a captain of a ship. Who is set a course and does not deviate from that. They are devoted to the course that they are on. And that course, obviously, here in this context, is one that is given us by our great Savior. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. He is reminding all of us that somewhere in the past we heard God's voice. Again, primarily speaking to us through Jesus, the Son of God. And he's saying to us, devote yourself to the voice of God in your life. When you hear God's voice, lock on to that and stay the course. Do not deviate your life from the course that God's voice has you on. Yes, there are so many other voices in our lives, people speaking at us from this angle and that angle and and from this perspective and that perspective. And the author of Hebrews is saying, in order for us to be able to stay the course, we have got to lock on to God's voice in our life above all other voices and listen above all other voices to his voice. Jesus even said in John 15, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. Are you at this moment in your Christian life, in your walk with God, in your experience with God, are you hearing God's voice? It is so important that we do, folks that in our lives individually we're hearing God's voice every day and that we're part of a local body of believers like this one here at the Oasis where we truly believe we can come and where we can hear God's voice. Because there are so many Christians who are out there sort of stumbling and bumbling and trying to navigate life, but they're not clearly hearing God's voice. And so the steps and turns and twists that they're trying to make in their life is based on their own sort of understanding and comprehension and insight and perception. But they're not clearly directing their lives based upon, here's what I know God is saying to me, and now I'm regulating and directing my life through his voice. It is so important, especially in this day and age where we have so many voices coming at us from so many different directions, that we learn to sort of take those voices out for a moment. And find those times in our life where we're just alone with God or where we're with God's people and where we truly hear God speaking to us. And that we know that the decisions and choices and things that we are doing in our life are being clearly directed by his voice. Is his voice cutting through all the noise of our lives and truly coming into our life where we hear God. And where not only are we hearing him, but as the author says, paying closer attention. We must, the author says, do this. If Jesus Christ is the great savior, the one that I've talked about in chapter one, then Isn't it just logical? Doesn't it just behoove us who believe in Him and who have a relationship with Him and know Him, listen to Him very carefully and get our directions from Him rather than from somewhere else or someone else? If we're not, then do we really believe He is who He is portrayed to be? Because, I don't know about you, but if Jesus Christ is the person that the author of Hebrews is laying out for us in chapter one, why would I want to listen truly to anybody else but him? Is there anyone with more wisdom, more insight, more understanding? Is there anyone that I could go to that's going to know more about anything than Jesus? Don't I want then His voice primarily being in my head, in my heart, in my mind, and directing my life? And then he says, here's why it's so important that we lock into to the voice of God in our lives and devote ourselves to His voice and set a course and stay to it. So that we do not drift away. The author of Hebrews is talking to Christians. So he's not saying here, oh, you know, I'm talking to people that don't know God, don't have a relationship with God, and you're going to drift away. No, he's talking to Christians here who have a relationship with God. And he says, do you realize that if you and I as Christians do not navigate our life always listening to the voice of God, that we are so prone to drift The words, again, sort of with that nautical theme, talk about sort of slipping past or moving past our intended target, if you will. It would be like that ship out there trying to get to a certain destination and just going right by. Being driven by the current, if you will, rather than locked on to where they are supposed to be headed. And we know, if this was true thousands of years ago, how truer is it now? That there is a current out there in the world. That that if we're not really locked into the voice of Jesus, that current is just going to take us where they're all going. And we're going to move past and literally slip past and drift past where God wants us to be and where we need to be, you see. How many Christians are just out there drifting? Their lives are not anchored in Jesus Christ. And it's so important that you and I be anchored in Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If you and I are not anchored in Christ and in His Word and listening to His voice, then it will be absolutely part of our life that we're going to drift, we're going to slip. Because we're going to start moving with the currents out there that already exist in the world rather than navigating our life simply by His voice and His direction. Which is why the author says, we must pay closer attention to Jesus. Or we're going to start drifting. Or we even could say we're going to start wandering. We're going to be more, our lives are going to, Be more like the children of Israel after they disobeyed and really had unbelief and faithlessness in God and his word where God just let them wander for 40 years and they never really made any headway. They never really made any advancement. They never really made any progress. They just kept living their lives in a circle. And God doesn't want us to live our lives in a circle where we just spin around like a top. He wants us to make advancement and progress and to move forward. The only way we're going to do that as believers is to lock into Jesus' voice, listen to him, and, and be able to get rid of all the other voices that are pulling us here and there and everywhere and just doing what he's directing us to do. He goes on to say, For if the message spoken through angels proved to be firm, so that every violation or disobedience received its just penalty, how will we escape? He's using the Old Testament here that was mediated by angels. And he's simply saying, listen, if the Old Testament was reliable... If the Old Testament was dependable, if if what God spoke through the angels, which ended up with man and, and ended up in the Old Testament, if that's firm, if that's trustworthy, if that's reliable, if that gives us solid footing, how much more solid footing do we have when the Son of God himself is here and is speaking to us? That's firm. The Old Testament was firm, then the New Testament is firm too. And he says, wasn't there a price to be paid in the Old Testament when people blew off the word of God and disobeyed it? Again, it's not that God doesn't give us as human beings a choice, a free will. He does. But all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the thing is, you and I can choose to disobey, disregard the word of God and the voice of God in our life, but we will always pay a price for it. There will always be a cost in our life, some loss that we experience by not adhering to the voice of God, which is what he says by a just penalty. He's simply saying there's always going to be consequences. There was in the Old Testament, there's going to be in the New Testament. And he says in verse three, then how do we think we're going to escape as New Testament Christians if we neglect such a great salvation? Wow. Christians can neglect their salvation? Absolutely. and We're going to talk more about that in the few moments we have left. The word neglect means to think little of, to to be careless about, to disregard. That's what the word neglect means. And, And it's one of those words that you and I as Christians really need to consider, contemplate, think about, and come to grips with. Because if we're truly a Christian, most of the time it's like, Our Christian life isn't just drifting and we're not just wandering and not just getting anywhere because that's really what we set out to do. Like, I just want to be a wandering Christian. I just want to be a disobedient, drifting Christian. Or, you know, that we we literally set out to say, I don't want God's best in my life. No, that's usually not the case. Usually in any relationship in our life, or with anything worthwhile in our life, the reason why it doesn't play as an important part as it should is not because we're out now out antagonistic towards it. It's more about just it gets neglected. We start to take it for granted. You know, the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And the author is pointing out to us as Christians that that same thing can happen even with our salvation. That though we've been saved by God and given new life in Him and have our sins forgiven and all of these things that we just sort of neglect it. And he's reminding us this isn't just salvation. This is a great salvation because it's based on our great Savior in chapter 1. If you're the kind of person that likes to give headings to things or outline things or whatever, I'll give you a suggested one that I use. If I had to put a heading above Hebrews chapter 1, it would be Our Great Savior. If I had to put a heading above Hebrews chapter 2, it would be our great salvation that comes from our great Savior. And that's what he talks about throughout all of chapter 2. How great a salvation we have. And have we come to a place in our Christian life where we forget how great our salvation is and really how great our Savior is. And if our Christian life is not on a course where we're truly gaining ground and moving forward and increasing and growing. Isn't the first thing we should look at. Maybe I'm neglecting. Something about this salvation. Because that's usually the way it is in our lives. That's the way it is in other relationships and Salvation is based on our personal relationship with God. As I've talked about before, and we all know, no matter how great a relationship is here on earth between two people, if that relationship starts to get neglected, then obviously there starts to be deterioration and distance and all of that. They're not as close as they used to be because relationships have to continually be worked on in order to thrive and and be maintained and sustained over the long haul and if we just start neglecting each other which later on the writer of Hebrews says you know something else you folks are neglecting you're neglecting each other and coming together you're abandoning your own meetings you're not being faithful to the house of God and you're neglecting one another and what God wants to do in this special dynamic. When his people come together corporately, there's so much that the author is going to talk to us about, about things we can just neglect. And it's not again that we sit home and just purposely go, you know, I, it's, it's more just it's just neglect. It's becoming careless. It's 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 thinking not big enough about something, that something's not as important as it should be. it's, It's disregarding something that should be front and center and a priority in our lives. And he's saying the same thing about our salvation. And he says, we won't escape if we neglect our great salvation. That even for us as Christians, though Jesus Christ has paid for our sin and we will forever have a relationship with him in heaven, that we will suffer loss down on earth and suffer loss in eternity, even in heaven, by neglecting such a great salvation. In fact, I I know this is sort of out of sync, but I hope you all come back next week. Because as we continue on into chapter 2, we're going to talk about the destiny that God has for us as Christians. And it's an unbelievable destiny. It is one that I think when you and I truly grasp it, we could leave here next week with just our jaws open and, and just in awe and wonder. Like, wow. And yet we don't think about that much, but we need to. It's something that we neglect is to truly grasp our destiny. So he says, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, which at first was communicated through the Lord himself and then was confirmed to us by those who heard him. We have all this testimony and witness piled on top of each other from those who followed Christ who were the apostles and the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone of the church. And and the author saying, the reality of what I'm talking about was affirmed and attested by them. And then he says this, verse 4. While God confirmed their witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Don't don't miss here what the author of Hebrews is getting at, driving at. He's saying that this great salvation, if we truly understand it, is coming to the realization that we have the divine presence and power within us. For every Christian here today, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have God living inside of you through the Holy Spirit. God's presence dwells in us. And therefore the Bible says, because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us, we also have the power of God available to us. And the author is saying, is that not a great salvation? That this salvation isn't just about hooking us up with God. And establishing a relationship with him, that's great. That's where it starts. But the author of Hebrews says that's not at all where it ends from God's point of view. And this salvation, as wonderful as it is, that it reminds us and teaches us that all of our sin is forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I say amen to that as well. And that through our salvation, God not only wipes away our sin, but gives us and grants us his righteousness to be able to stand in before him. But it goes even beyond that. The author of Hebrews says, this great salvation was one where God himself came to live within you. And therefore, God's power now is living within you. And the reason then he puts out verse 4 is he's saying, Should not then those of us who know this great Savior and have this great salvation, should not our lives evidence his presence and power to others every day that we live? Should not others be able to see God lives in me? And I'm now living not in my own power and strength, but I live by higher supernatural power. The author of Hebrews is saying that's what God intended for our salvation to be. But this great salvation has continually been neglected by so many Christians that now we come to the year 2015 and now even within Christianity, we're in a culture where even people sit around going, I don't know, are they saved or not? I don't know. See, God never meant for it to be that not clear-cut. God says, if you and I are not neglecting this great salvation, that our lives, like the lives of those first followers, will be so evident of God's presence and power that there will be no question. And that you and I, like people do today, Christians, won't have to go out there in the world and tout our own salvation. And let people know that we're a Christian, because they'll see that we're a Christian. Remember, that's the way the first Christians were identified. The first Christians didn't go around saying, "By the way, I want you to know, you're a stranger. You don't know. I, I accepted Christ, and I'm a Christian." No, they never said anything. They lived their lives. Exhibiting and evidencing the presence of God and the power of God in their lives so much every day that other people said, You, you know what? They remind me of that Jesus Christ and the way he lived and the, the, the things that he said and the priorities of his life. They're Christian. I'm calling them a Christian. And the author is saying, oh, that we would not neglect our salvation so that we would evidence. Because that's what the word witness means in verse 4. God confirmed their witness. It means to give evidence of something. And obviously here he uses signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I know many of you, well, I can't do a miracle. Can I tell you that if you and I live for Christ every day, we're a walking miracle. Because we can navigate life as a light for God in this dark world that we live in and live so distinctively and so differently and our priorities and everything will be so distinct that we will stand out. And that there will be people who scratch their heads and go, how can you be filled with joy in the world in which we live? How can you have such hope in the midst of such hopelessness? Because we have the divine presence and power of God inside of us by this such great salvation. And our lives aren't dictated by the way the world goes or the circumstances of our own life or anything else. Our lives are totally dictated and directed by the voice of God that we are paying attention very closely to. And being directed by the divine presence and power of God that lives every moment within us. That's again why the man named Peter says in his letter, first letter, to set Christ Jesus apart as Lord in your life. Another way we could say is, don't neglect such a great salvation. And he says, when we set Jesus Christ apart as Lord in our life, always be ready to give an answer for those who ask us of the hope that is within us with meekness and fear. See, Peter is pointing out that if you and I would live our Christian lives the way we should, we won't have to always be going out telling others. Others will be coming to us because they will see that God, that there's something different about us. They might not say, well, God lives inside of them, but they're going to recognize that there's a difference, there's a distinctness. There's a power In us that they don't possess. Possess. And they're going to come to us and try to say. What do you have that I don't have? How can you be like this? That's what then opens up the door. For us. To be able to share with them. That we're living with a divine presence and power in our lives. It's not us. If it was us, we'd be right there with you. We'd lack joy and be hopeless and we'd be filled with fear and living in fear every day. But we don't live by that. We live by a higher presence and a higher power. And our lives are going to be evidence of that every day. If there's one thing... That the author of Hebrews wants us as Christians to understand from these first four verses of chapter 2. It is this. That our salvation is not something that we just receive. Our salvation is something that we are responsible for. That's why the Bible says that one day, even as Christians, we are going to stand and give an account of our life to God. Why are we having to give an account of our life to God? Because we are responsible for this great salvation that God has given us. And we're not going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our sin. Our sin has already been taken care of through the cross and through the blood of Jesus Christ. But what we will have to give an account for of as Christians is, what did we do with this great salvation? What did we do with this great gift that God gave to us through His Son, Jesus Christ? Did we appropriate it and apply it every day? Did did we live by the divine presence and power of God within us? Or did we just sort of push it to the side and neglect it? And think about how tragic that is for all of us as Christians. How sad is it to think that we could like scrape along and stumble along in life and scratch and claw along in life because we're trying to do life on our own. And yet inside of us is all this unbelievable power of God and the very powerful, presence of God through our holy through the Holy Spirit. And, and yet how sad is it even for God to look down on us and go child, it doesn't have to be that hard. You don't have to struggle like that. Start tapping into the power and presence of God in your life. Stop neglecting such a great salvation and do something with the salvation that I've given you. See, We're being reminded here of something that many Christians, even today, don't even get at all. For them, salvation is something that happens once in their life when they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And for them, it's that moment in time decision where they embrace Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven, their relationship is established with God, they're on their way to heaven, and then that's it. Boom. That's salvation to them and the author saying no 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 when you and i are saved by this great savior we have been given a great gift the greatest gift god could ever give us a great salvation a mighty and important salvation and it's not something that we just do once in our life and then put on a shelf The author is saying, this is something that we need to apply and appropriate and live by every day of our lives. God didn't intend for salvation to be just that moment we come to Christ. He wants us to see that this great salvation is something we carry with us and use every day of our lives. Because through this great salvation, again... God himself comes to live within us and the power of God comes to live within us. And so the author is really straight. He's saying to his readers who are, they're wavering, they're discouraged, they're, they're despairing, they're, they're disillusioned, they're, they're about ready to, to throw up the white flag and just give up. And throw in the towel. And he says, no. You've got within you everything you need to navigate no matter what comes your way. Stop neglecting such a great salvation. And live in this salvation. And live by this salvation every day. I'll say this. And then we'll transition towards the Lord's table this morning. How tragic would it be if you or someone gave to you this unbelievable gift? I don't know. Because what may be a valuable gift to me isn't a valuable gift to you, but use your imagination. You were given years ago this valuable gift. And what if after you received that gift, you just sort of set it on a shelf somewhere packed it away in your garage and it just sat there and somebody later came along and after you and I were long gone and discovered this unbelievable gift and said oh my goodness they were sitting on they had this and nobody ever knew They, they had this and they never really enjoyed it they never used it it just sat there Folks, that's exactly what many Christians do with their salvation. We've been given the greatest gift in the universe. We don't have just salvation. We've got a great salvation because we've got a great Savior. And the author of Hebrews is saying to us, then don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Start giving evidence every day of the divine presence and power that exists within us so that we can be lights in the darkness. As we get ready to go up to the table and gather the elements for communion, I would invite all of us to think along these lines today. That when we get those elements and we come back to our seat and we hold on to those elements before everyone is served and then we'll all partake as a body together because we believe that's the way the Lord laid it out for us to do. Because He wants to to show unity in this. That as we gather those elements that maybe our idea, our understanding of salvation based upon Hebrews chapter 2 will, will be a little bit expanded today. And instead of grabbing a hold of the bread which symbolizes our Lord's body that was broken for us, and instead of just grabbing a hold of the cup of wine that symbolizes His blood that was shed for us, that we'll also begin to try to wrap our minds around the fact that, that He did that. Not just to bring us into a right relationship with God. And not just to provide forgiveness of sins. But he did this for us. So that we could enjoy such great salvation from him every day that we live our lives on this earth. That we could experience, if you will, salvation, not just on the day we accepted Christ, but that we literally could experience salvation every day. Because every day you and I live by God's presence and power within us is a day we're living by our salvation. Every day we live in our own power and strength and without God being a part of it is a day we neglect such great salvation. And so when we gather together and we get these elements, as we take hold of these elements today, may we be reminded of not only our great Savior that did this for us, but the great salvation that he brought to us, that he wants us to appropriate and apply every day that we live. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they're coming, I'm going to close in prayer. As they're getting in place up here in just a few moments, you'll have someone come and dismiss you by rows to go back and get these elements. And as I shared earlier, I would just like to ask for everybody to come back to your seat to sing along with the song or to just meditate and and pray or whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do today. And then we'll wait till everyone has been served and the song is over and then I'll come back out and lead us in partaking of the elements this morning. If nothing else, let's walk away from today in the house of God with the word of God with this. We have a great salvation. And our salvation is not something that we just receive. It's something we are responsible for. As believers in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God may we see more than ever. What a great savior we have. And God may we more than ever. See the glory and greatness of our salvation. To think that part of your plan was that you would come as God and live inside of us. That your Holy Spirit would indwell us and be with us every moment of our life. And that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave exists in us through your Holy Spirit. God, help us as a church to give evidence that your presence and power exists on earth now through us, your people. And then, Lord, as your church moves out into the community and all over this valley throughout the week, may we as individuals every day give evidence and witness and testimony to your presence and your power in our life. Help us, Lord, not for one more day to neglect such a great salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.